Thank you for downloading this New Zealand Sports Radio show. We have a new way that you can support us. There is a link in the notes down below where you can make a one-off donation to New Zealand Sports Radio. Thank you for support and uh, enjoy the show. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Driving Mall Show here on New Zealand Sports Radio. Hi, I'm Paul and I'll be your host again this evening. Sorry if you're hoping for somebody else, but hey, I'm back one more time because, hey, it's, uh, this is kind of what I do full-time, folks. So if you would like to become a supporter of um, New Zealand Sports Radio, check out our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash NZ Sport Radio, and you can become a supporter of uh, New Zealand Sports Radio and help us bring you all this free content. Also, you get exclusive access to um, some, uh, some special content for you. Uh, and last week, Boa, we produced for the supporters – our preview of uh, the New Zealand Rugby Awards. And, um, yeah, we were kind of a bit hit and miss, weren't we? Well, what can I say? So, guys, before, and guys and girls, before we start off this segment, I have to say 2020 has been a very indifferent year, a bit forgettable for most of us. COVID-19, pandemic, uh, second wave, third wave, fourth wave, and so on and so forth. Uh, but something I have to say... Um, which is unforgettable, which has come around this year, is New Zealand Sport Radio. In fact, I can remember, Paul, when we first bumped into each other at Manukau Rovers, you come to cover a game. And, um, you know, this this is the sort of thing which is missing in grassroots sport. It's fantastic to see. And also the engagement from all you guys out there watching and listening to us, uh, you know, um, have a verbal sparring session. So thank you very much for it. Uh, yeah, so talking about New Zealand Rugby Awards. Well, no, before we get there, I should, I should welcome you onto the show. Welcome to the show, Bo. I was, I was going to just very quick, very quick bounce, bounce off you to say, yeah, we've, yeah, we, we, we were a bit hit and miss, and then we'll, we'll get into it later. But thank you so much for joining us on the show, um, and being a regular here on Tuesday evenings on the Driving Mall you're, Show. You're, you're very welcome. It's my pleasure, as I always say. This is my highlight of the week. Absolutely look forward to it. Actually, today I was uh, catching up with some. Some of our workmates and everyone was on the source. That's right, on the source. But I'm a very responsible, um, uh, what do they call it? A responsible uh, drinker. That's right. I only had a couple, so I was actually going to throw in the white towel. But I thought, no, I can't, I, I can't let the viewers down. I can't let Paul down. But here we are. And Simon Hughes, hi. Hope you're well. Hope you're safe, mate. Hope you're looking forward to good Christmas. So uh, coming to the topic, yeah, very indifferent. Um, 
uh, winners of the awards uh, very different to what uh, myself Stephen, you picked last week. Um, I, I have to say I'm bitterly disappointed for some of the guys who missed out. Uh, but, yeah, it is what it is and uh, something we can pick the bones out, hopefully, today. Yeah, we'll have a chat about that. We'll compare it to the Rugby Players Association's uh, awards because, boy, oh, boy, chalk and cheese um, springs to mind. We'll um, have a quick chat uh, about COVID in Europe because, boy, because that's been, of course, absolute mayhem in the uh, Champions uh, Cup. Uh, and the Challenge Cup as well, um, and uh, which is uh, and Simon spotted that the Champions Cup was back on Sky Sport last weekend. Okay, well that's interesting because uh, the previous year, last season, it was on um, uh, Spark Sport. This year, it wasn't on anybody's radar for round one, um, so we couldn't even watch it. I miss I didn't real, I, I missed that it wasn't Sky Sport, but fantastic that it was because some cracking games in there. Um, we'll have a chat about some women's rugby and the. Kind of announced, kind of not announced, pack four competition. Um, and then also we'll have a look at uh, some of the provinces and some of the open roles that are going around uh, at the moment in provincial rugby, because there's a few around there as well. And yeah, good point by Simon here that um, the uh, Haguares uh, are, have been announced that they'll be drafted into all of the teams in the new South American um, professional rugby competition. Um, that kicked off this year, I think, or last year. This year, I think it was. This year, um, this year that's right, uh, for the first time. Um, except when you have a quick look at the list of people who were in the 15 um, that was going to be, what's the word I'm looking for, that was, that, 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 so was in the, that played the Crusaders in that final uh, last year, I think only two of them are still in, are still in Argentina. All the rest are in Japan or the, or Europe playing rugby. So uh, I'm not sure how many of the players are actually left to draft into those teams, but hey, it's good to know that they've got jobs somewhere playing rugby. Um, so yeah, where, where should we start? Let's start with COVID then. Uh, and uh, in, in in the States, because as you said, uh, it's it's been a strange year. Um, I know a lot of people said how bad it's been. For me, it's been a year of opportunity. Um, and, uh, and I think over here in New Zealand, we've been... Uh, well, people keep saying we've been very lucky. Um, and I'm like, well, no, <laughs> I'm not sure we were. I think we've been, we, we've handled it well um, as, a, as, as a community and uh, we've behaved ourselves and hey, presto, we're, we're, we're in a good place. So, um, but yeah, Europe, not in a good place at the moment. Uh, four games uh, postponed over the weekend. I think a third of the Champions Cup games were, or the, the Heineken Champions League games were uh, were 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 cancelled or postponed? Oh, yeah, cancelled. That's right. Um, Bella, I mean, do our has, has rugby administration learned anything from other sports, or are they just trying to, or, or has money just basically gone in there and said uh, we we have to play these games because we need the cash? Do you think? Yeah, look, I think there's a large large part of that, and also what I have to say, just building on what you said. Um, you know, here in New Zealand, I think we've been very diligent. We've taken some very simple, pragmatic steps. And uh, by and large, I think most most parts of the population and also the sporting population, we've uh, been compliant with uh, some of the guidelines, uh, sticking to biological bubbles, following through. Uh, I can, I can, I can uh, you know, correlate to this, uh, you know, being, being part of a uh, coaching staff and administration in a, a rugby club, which is in the heart of South Auckland, you know, 
high risk, uh, at at risk, very high risk communities, uh, especially Samoan, Tongan, the Polynesian uh, communities. But but again, you know, once we put the guidelines with the staged return to play, we followed those. So I think um, what's actually happening in in Europe is probably missing some of those steps, or some you know there might be uh, parts of the population bypassing it. And it, it just creeps into all parts of society. And sport seems to be one of the worst hit because uh, very, very unfortunate because, you know, these, there were some cracking games. I was watching the Racing we uh, Harlequins game. And boy, Racing did an amazing job on the Quins. They put 49 points on the board. So uh, it, it really, it's, it's a shame that we are missing these games. And, and Paul, you make a very valid point. Yeah, I think uh, they're putting profits before people. And they're taking shortcuts. Uh, all this will come out in the wash. I have some, you know, inside info into inside info into what's actually happening and what isn't happening. Um, and I, and of course, it really comes down to attitude. You can't have a casual attitude, ladies and gentlemen, when there's a pandemic. We have to do the simple things. We don't need to worry about all the complicated stuff. Do the simple things, and you know, we will get through this. Um, as as we saw in New Zealand, not once but twice. So um, I think. All the reasonable care uh, has to be taken. All the systems and processes, which were the experts. Now, for example, if you have a toothache, we go to see a dentist, right? We don't go to see the accountant. So likewise, when there's a pandemic, you have to listen to the epidemiologists and the virologists. If they say, guys, wash your hands five times a day, and that will make sure that this game will go ahead, then do it. It's not that hard. And you have to understand, these are professionally paid adults uh, who have to go and do this thing. So they, they really have to have a look at themselves. And, and of course, if they are playing in an area where there's high risk, really, there's, there's no sense in trying to pursue a game which you know is going to be cancelled. And all you're doing is putting more people at risk. So really, simple yeah. steps. Hmm. I think a couple of things. One of the, the, the sports, obviously, there's the society piece, which we're, we're, we're not really a politics show, so we'll try and keep, we won't necessarily go much more into that. But as you say, we, as a whole, by by our society, all listening to the rules, first time it all worked. But from a sporting point of view, you look at the sporting codes that, have, that, that managed to sort of have handled this well. The NBA did a total lockdown bubble. Looking at NRL, NRL um, went pretty well in Australia because they told players, look, you, that uh, whilst society might be allowed to go to restaurants and stuff, you're not allowed to. You've got to be bubbled up. Um, and people have said, and I put this on Twitter, that look, the cost of the NBA bubble was massive, and rugby can't afford that. I agree. I'm not saying they should have done what what they've done, what what, what the NBA did. But what what you need to learn, what you can learn from the NBA, from the NRL, um, is that and other sports as well, is that the way you make sure your sport can uh, happen is you reduce exposure risk. Okay, it's as simple as that. Um, now, by taking three set three leagues. And then mixing up the teams to play each other, making them travel more than they would have to otherwise, you're just increasing exposure risk. Um, playing playing those mixed leagues, was, uh, playing the European competitions this year was the wrong thing to do, especially mid-season. If you're going to do it, play your domestic league and then play the European as a separate league at the end of the year. Um, or the end of the season, sorry. Um by doing it in mid-season, where you're taking these teams, you're shuffling them all around, and then you're sending them back again to their to, to, to their uh, to, to the domestic leagues, you're asking for what's in one league to be transferred to another league, 
um, and you're just asking for more and more games to be um, to, 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 to be um, to be done. So um, the um, the nocturnal says, yeah, look, there's vigorous disagreement amongst virologists, epidemiologists. I'm sure, yes, there is, but at the end of the day, the sports that have done well have reduced exposure risk. Uh, and that is how they've managed to to mitigate. Now you can argue about how uh, how bad COVID is, but um, at the moment every league seems to be of the same opinion that if you, if, if one player's got COVID, basically you're calling the game off. So if, so let's not, so I'm not I'm not here to argue about that side of things. But yeah, so yeah, just crazy. I, th I think Europe Europe should be cancelled. The European competition should be cancelled, or at the very least shunted to the back of the season. Um, but I can't see that happening because basically all the unions and all the clubs in Europe are, are broke. Um, and we saw that with the uh, Gallagher Premiership, which said, right, we're going to play every single game from last season. We're going to catch them all up. And we're going to play three games a week. <laughs> Player welfare? <laughs> Goodbye. Um, and uh, yeah, so folks, people who, if you're going to say, oh, yeah, look, we rugby... Uh, it's, it's all about values. It's all about this. I'm sorry, folks. If you've looked at how the administrations have administrations have behaved, that might be on the pitch. You might have some some of this stuff. You know, the values might apply, but off the pitch, rugby has a horrible record of trying to um, uh, at, uh, at the upper echelons, at the very least, at trying to uh, or at, at abiding by any set of rugby values uh, at all. So, um, so yes, the. Uh, yeah, it's, it's all a bit of a farce over there, unfortunately. Um, yeah, Paul, uh, the, the other thing I have to add is, um, I mean, we've, we've now had about nine, almost 10 months of uh, learnings and some data. And there's some really quality data out there. Because one thing I can confirm with you is with uh, NZR and Auckland Rugby High Performance, there's been a lot of data being shared and I've had exposure into this. And there's some really good case studies out there, i.e. one of them being NRL on how you prepare your high-performance players, what sort of conditioning is required, what muscle groups, um, you know, the, the technical work you do, and also off the field, the mental preparation. So there is a lot of good information. And it's actually really simple stuff. We're not talking rocket science. So I'm, I'm really amazed that uh, some of these multi-billion uh, dollar and euro leagues um, haven't really pursued some of these case studies, looked at simplifying what they're doing, i.e. sticking to their local geographic um, conferences and kind of you know getting a little bit creative and keeping those biological bubbles limited and, and being able to complete a long season, but instead trying to mix, as you said, three leagues together in, in very high-risk areas. So to, to me, all common sense... All these values of player welfare and safety have clearly gone out the window, and it's it's actually being uh, it's it's being replaced by mercenary like values. Where look, let's play a game of rugby because we can make some money and so on and so forth. Now, I don't I don't want to sound like the the Dracula. It's not so much about making money. It's about sort of it's it's kind of like guys. We've overcommitted spending all this cash. We're about to go bust. If we don't play these things, we'll just go under, potentially. Um, and yeah, it's all bad. But anyway, um, <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, Simon, you're quite right. It, it, a lot of this comes down to TV pressure, not only for the French teams, but also for the English teams and uh, uh, and, and onwards. Uh, Nocturnal rights is saying create big villages for the family, players and families and isolate them from the general population, maybe. 
having <laughs> yeah no look i'm not saying you go to that kind of extreme but I, but there is definitely exposure risk uh, as he, as as boa says around that that the nrl put in in place um which uh, they reduced the exposure risk and they came through it pretty clean um you've got to say um so court so yeah and i'm not sure much i guess the, another topic we'll, we'll come back to on the um covid point of view in future episodes will be uh has ha, uh, as, as they say in business never waste a good crisis and boy oh boy if rugby has wasted a good crisis well, this is a prime example of how they've wasted it so we might come back and, and revisit how rugby missed and waste wasted this crisis wasted this opportunity for change um but that we'll do that on another show um now, pack four, this is something that, I'll be honest, really flew under the radar for me. Um, and I guess this is probably uh, actually a sign of how New Zealand rugby in particular um, announce, go about announcing things. But um, I was listening to an interview with the head of New Zealand, oh, sorry, head of um, USA rugby. And he matter-of-factly mentioned, oh, yes, we've got this new pack four competition coming up. Um, and I'm like, really? Hang on, this is a new women's rugby international competition that will involve New Zealand, um, Australia, USA and Canada um, on an annual basis has apparently has been agreed. Wow, that went very quiet. Uh, <laughs> that happened with no fanfare. Um, not only that, but apparently they're trying to arrange it to happen in New Zealand ahead of the Women's Rugby World Cup next year or the Rugby World Cup 2021. Um, I mean, Boa, this, this, there's been absolute radio silence out of Australia, New Zealand around this. I'm I don't follow Canadian news closely enough to, to say whether they've mentioned it, but um, yeah, there's, there's been zero promotion or, or talk of a, of, of, of a new international women's, women's competition to basically rival the, the women's six nations. Yeah, look, uh, I have to say very disappointed. And until you actually mentioned about this, um, well, it's pretty much been radio silence and it's been stone cold motherless last stepmotherly treatment really um and uh, ladies and gentlemen one thing we have let's let's keep things in perspective the 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 sport of rugby numbers wise uh over the last couple of years year on year the growth factor has actually been in the women's game that's what's actually growing the game the numbers uh last year we had uh about 29 percent year on year increase in player participation in certain parts of the men's or the boys game we're having a decline so what's actually keeping the game afloat is the women's game so i think there needs to be far more prominence to this um, well uh, numbers wise not um uh, player numbers wise not dollars wise yet correct yeah. absolutely player wise i mean you know the women's game by and large is in its infancy of uh being professionalized but the fact is that if the game is to sustain itself long term, we need new participants. We need new, we need new business. That's that's what it comes down to, because the economy right around rugby will then grow. Because ninety-five percent of um, whatever connected to it, be training gear, nutrition, transportation, game day coffee, you name it, is around the amateur grassroots game. So it's really important that we grow that part of the game. So um, yeah. I guess apart from us having a little bit of a chat around this now, it's been absolute radio silence. It's been absolute internet silence. I, I just Googled it. Very, very disappointing. In fact, a friend of mine who is the rugby development officer in Canada, the province called Winnipeg, 
he he said oh yeah oh yeah by the way there's this something like this happened but no one's really sure and and this is this is really worrying because we have the women's rugby world cup which is now called the rugby world cup in uh 2021 in new zealand next year so um i, I look i i don't want to say too much about this i think there's not enough being said about it so if anyone's listening out there with um, nzr guys you know what to do maybe you need to uh really get the public relations machine well this this is this is it, isn't it um new zealand rugby at its heart understand uh, there's this, this is how i see basically how new zealand rugby acts new zealand rugby realizes that the all blacks is what funds the whole organization um and therefore they are um paranoid to the extreme around handling that brand um and the media around that brand which means they never announce anything until every single i is dotted every single t is 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 crossed you'll you'll never hear um you, you it's you, you hear about games once they have got cast iron contracts in place for those games to happen you'll never hear oh we are talking with um they don't do that kind of thing they they wait till it's all all agreed then they announce it and that's what's happened here i think is that basically is they've taken that um method of of communication and it, it applies across the whole organization so there was a whole bunch of discussions going on around the minor 10 cup but until they had a cast iron um schedule they didn't say anything and they refused to say anything it's not like oh we're in discussions it'll happen at this vague time of year no they won't they won't they won't do that they, they'll only do cast iron stuff and so that's what the problem here is is that they've agreed a competition but they've not agreed any fixtures when it will happen where it will happen and hence new zealand rugby won't talk about it until they have actual fixtures in actual locations that um all 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 organized an example was for this year they announced the at the end of last year or early this year they announced the black ferns schedule and they said they'll have x games here are the games and you counted the games and you count how many so that they said they're going to be and there was one missing so they'd announced like i can't remember what some like nine games but they actually announced there would be nine games this year um but they actually announced eight games now the reason for that was they were going to play england down in um down in nelson okay and hence that's why the black ferns played the uh, barbarian the uh, new zealand barbarians down there um instead right that game was all locked in now there were some contracts still to sign or something to be confirmed but uh but as far as everyone's concerned that game was happening but because they hadn't got the actual piece of paper with a an ink signature on it they wouldn't they wouldn't announce it um even though everyone knew it was going to happen um i i i found out someone just put someone dropped it in comment and i went back to them and said hey by the way you do realize this hasn't been announced yet would you like me to cut that out of the interview and they said yes please um <laughs> i didn't want to get them in trouble um so there those situations um and i think that's what's here everyone kind of vaguely everyone in the know will know this pack 4 is happening they'll probably also already know where it's going to happen and vaguely which the dates are but they're not actually going to mention it uh and they're not actually going to um uh, announce it until they have actual dates um so and i said they'll probably already have dates there's but they're not locked in um the uh so makes a good point here that USA and Canada are tier 1 nations that uh, there isn't really a definition of tier 1 nations in women's rugby but essentially 
the, the world rankings are England number one, New Zealand number two, Canada number three, France number four, Australia number five, USA number six. So we're talking four of the top six teams in the world in this competition. Boy, it's going to be a high caliber competition. I know a lot of people think, oh, USA and Canada, they're not very good at rugby. <laughs> On the women's side, they are. Um, so, yes. I think, I think uh, boy, it's going to be an excellent competition. Mm. Um, I think this will be a real eye opener for a lot of fans right across the spectrum because uh, in the women's game, they. Um, rely a lot on skill, skill and ability, as opposed to sheer outright power and brute force. So you actually see some wonderful players and some interplays, um, and you see some very constructive and very tactical playmaking. So case in point being, you know, Kendra Coxage, in my opinion, I think she's probably one of the best players uh, of the rugby union code in both male and female anywhere in the world, because there's a, there's a large degree of focus on skill, there's a large degree of creating manipulating situations so it's, it's going to be a real treat especially to those purists um and i guess the um you know what's actually happening in the women's game is it's kind of like those chinese whispers isn't it you 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 kind of know what's happening on the other side of the of the rice paper thin like walls and everyone's whispering say hey by the way you know england's coming over by the way don't tell anyone they have to stay in quarantine for a couple of weeks they'll be training at the tech puna oh by the way they're not i'm just kind of Kind of making, you know, making things up as I've got. This is all fictitious, by the way. Yeah. Uh, and 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 then everyone goes, "Oh, really? Oh, well, how come they never said this?" And then <laughs> uh, we are pleased to announce, and everything is just all formalized. So, Paul, you're 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 spot on, mate. It's this whole ironclad, watertight. Everything has to be like so formalized. And you know, people are starting to get a little bit sick and tired of it. Just loosen up a bit. It's okay, you know. Yeah. Even if it's on, yeah, that's that's my take on it, you know. Yeah, I think uh, look, I think a lot of people love the All Blacks in New Zealand. I don't think they're necessarily fan. I don't think they particularly like New Zealand rugby though, and the way they go about their business. Um, Nocturnal Rights says, "Will they play outside of Auckland? Would be nice to have games around the country." Um, my guess is yes, they will play outside of Auckland, right? So the, for example, the Women's Rugby World Cup is being held in basically Auckland and Whangarei. Um, as I say, the All Blacks. Uh, versus New Zealand All Blacks played um, two games in Auckland, or one in the North Shore, one in Auckland, um, and one down in Nelson. I'd be amazed if all these games were played uh, in Auckland. Now, quite how would you schedule these games with the, with the Women's Rugby World Cup towards the end of the year? Would you run them as double headers with the All Blacks um, games for the Rugby Championship? Um, will it be earlier than that? Will it be during Super Rugby? Would you run them as double headers with Super Rugby? Or would you run them as standalone events? Um, that's all up in the air, who knows, essentially. Um, there is no, uh, no one has, uh, as I say, New Zealand rugby hasn't even admitted this thing exists yet. <laughs> so any idea as to where the games might be is pure speculation. Now, for my mind, um, I would give one to Tasman because, look, they missed out on that Black Ferns versus England game. Um, they hosted a good game between the All Blacks um, and the uh, and the Pumas, for example. Um if you're also looking for other venues that are non-traditional, um, again, I'd look perhaps down towards Napier. Might be a kind of cool place to have one um, as well. Um, also, Fongare, you've got to put some up there as a, a sort of World Cup warm-up games uh, for, for the organisation to figure out how to run that kind of size size event and to just get rid of some of those. Um, so, for my mind, yes, those are the obvious places um, at the moment, I don't think Rugby Park down in Vicargo really has uh, will, will have got its renovations done in time. 
Um, and um, outside of that, Rotorua doesn't doesn't generally get very good crowds. Uh, so you could hold one in Palmerton North maybe, because um, obviously down in New Plymouth, the earthquake has just uh, still means they haven't got a proper stadium down there. Um, so I would say you're, you're looking at Fongaray, Palmerston North, Nelson, uh, and um, Napier are perhaps to me the places you could take these games to. Yeah, it would be a would be a great way to showcase the country as well to the rest of the world, because chances are this whole pandemic thing is not going to go away anytime soon, especially with the travel restrictions. So I think it'd be a wonderful opportunity, and also getting the getting new entrance into the sport, new spectators. Given that it is a, it is a women's uh, sporting event, I think it's going to be uh, a great opportunity and um, hopefully they, they do take it out to um, the non-traditional venues. But I have to say something, Paul, very interesting. I recall sitting in a uh, delegates meeting last year with Auckland Rugby, wanting to make a decision on where the Gallagher Shield final, if it was going to be played, where it would be played, there's a few venues brandished, and something very interesting came out of the meeting where uh, it was stated that it's a lot, it, it can actually end up costing a lot more hosting at a smaller venue because you need to get all the infrastructure around hosting a larger crowd, i.e., toilet facilities, car parking, security. So I think all these things play its due part, and I think NZR will look at the financial and economic viability. So, um, but some of those venues you said easily quite clearly they meet that criteria so let's just hope and pray that that is the case the game is taken the 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 wider the game is spread the game is going to grow more and more especially given that it's a woman's game um and yeah it's it's i think it's going to be a cracking competition that we got some real close very mm. evenly contested games in this world cup yeah let me play look again like canada versus usa uh they're not going to fill eden park Let's, let's just be honest about it, okay, folks. You're looking at a thousand, couple of thousand people. Uh, you're not, you're not going to get a big crowd for that game. So why not take it down to one of these smaller venues? Uh, you, you're going to get a smaller crowd, but it, but if you get a couple of thousand into the uh, Tauranga um, uh, domain uh, ground, or if you get uh, a similar uh, into um, Pocono, for example, you feel like you got a full ground and you have got some atmosphere. If you put um, five or six thousand into Eden Park, you have zero atmosphere. It looks, it feels dead, even if you've got a crowd that's much bigger. So, um, yeah, absolutely. What some of those, especially for those for the games that don't include the Black Ferns, you can you, you can really take it to other um, to, to, to other venues, uh, most definitely. Um, cool. Let's uh, <laughs> rugby awards. Let's have a look. Let's have a chat about that. So, as we mentioned. We've had the, the not only have we had the New Zealand Rugby Awards, but we've also had the um, New Zealand Rugby Player Awards or the RPA Player Awards. So um, I'm just going to share on my screen the uh, the results of the um, the Player Awards up there. We'll, we'll go through each one uh, and compare them to how um, the uh, New Zealand Rugby um, decided to do things. So first up, it's good they agreed. Sam Kane, the uh, All Blacks captain is the men's international players uh, men's player of the year um, and he also picked up the new zealand rugby um, all blacks player of the year um Boa, you mentioned last mentioned joining our, our our show for our supporters and don't forget you become a supporter over at patreon.com forward slash nz sport radio um that's uh, the basic that sam kane's 
numbers were off the charts. And whilst perhaps not appreciated by the the fans, the workload he got through was was immense uh, during the uh, uh, during the international season. Yeah, no doubt about that. I think that would have played a huge part in influencing his peers because there's, there's, there's nothing better to be uh, acknowledged and accredited and given an award in and amongst your peers. So I think there's there's no question that would have uh, played a huge part. Um, and of course, I mean, when you when you when you kind of see past all the the murky stuff, uh, and if you really cut it down to the bone, I mean. He did skip a team which won the British Look Up yet again, and even though he had a fifty percent win record, uh, won the Tri Nation. So I think amongst the peers, it would have resonated. Um, and of course, those numbers. I mean, his his dominant, you know, tackles, the amount of contact he took, um, and he played on with uh, uh, you know some significant knocks. Uh, all that would have played its part. And um, in the end, in the end, my gut feeling is he would have been. A very easy, clear winner. Yep. Uh, so, well, having won, won it in both in both awards, you got to say, yeah, they they, they agreed there, um, which was good. Um, yeah. Nocturnal rights notes that there's no Bowden Barrett amongst the uh, nominations there. Now, look, he didn't have a particularly great season, a standout season this year um, in there. So yeah. So Joe Moody, Richard Mwanga, Aaron Smith, uh, and uh, Samuel Whitelock were the uh, other ones there. Moving over to the women's one, and this one really is interesting. Um, as you can see, for those of you uh, who are listening to podcasts, I'll talk through the names. So the Rugby Players Association nominated Kendra Coxage, Pip Love, the uh, prop, uh, Charmaine McMenamin, um, Aroa Savage, and uh, Kennedy Simon. Uh, if we look at the Blackferns players of the year, was Kendra Coxage, uh, Kennedy Simon, and Chelsea Alley. And Chelsea Alley won it in the New Zealand Rugby, Rugby Awards. She's not even nominated for the Players Awards. Which was which was kind of interesting, um, and Kennedy Simon took took that one. Uh, yeah, it's interesting when a player who wins one award isn't even nominated for the other one. Uh, there's there's it, it feels a bit wrong, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It um, and look with with all due respect and without without upsetting people too much, I have to say I'm I'm very very surprised not to see someone like Kendra Coxage up there because you know in, in this is my opinion I hold uh, in such high regard she's probably one of the best top five rugby players both male and female on planet earth right now purely because of her skills ability to read the game and how she can control and conduct the game of rugby football so um you know congratulations to kennedy well done um we wish you all the best uh, but i i agree with you paul it's um is is the word i'm looking for awkward a bit awkward to sort of See ourselves in this situation. Is it is it awkward? Um, so Nocturnal rights make mentions uh, obviously perhaps that's I, I slipped up with my words there. Sorry, I don't know what I said. Um, but so uh, yeah, Kennedy Simon uh, was the winner of the Women's International Player of the Award. Uh, yeah, look, Kendra Coxage was at least uh, what's the word I'm looking for um, nominated for both of the awards. So look, she yeah she's you can't give her every single award. You have got to share it around a little bit. You give other people some recognition. Um, similar thing happened in the well, not quite the same uh, in the men's one. Um, Scott Curry, Sam Dixon, um, McGarvey Black, uh, Tim Nicholson, and uh, Regan Ware were the um, nominated ones. At least all, th at least all three of the people who were nominated for the New Zealand Rugby Awards were, were nominated there. Scott Curry won the New Zealand Rugby one, um, and um, 
Mugabe Black won the uh, uh, the player, Rugby Players Association one there. Um, I, I'm not, I'm not, and then Stacey Fuller took out both the women's sevens player um, and also the uh, Blackfern uh, the uh, Blackfern sevens player. Um, and again, at least the people who were nominated in the New Zealand Rugby Awards were nominated in the Rugby Players Awards as well, with Kelly Brazier, Stacey Fuller, Sarah Hirini, um, Tyler Nathan Wong, and Ruby Tui, the, the announced ones there. Yeah, Paul, I, um, I have to say with the Blair's uh, Sevens Men's uh, Award, I think uh, it would be fair to say they got it right, bang on. Mugabe Black, I thought, sensational season, fantastic player, uh, amazing work rate, and real, true expect as soon as he gets the ball, you knew something was up, and he was a go-to player, so... I think all credit to all the sevens players who voted for him and fully deserving. Um, then, um, moving on then to the Super Rugby player of the year. Boy, oh boy, this is, how different can you get? So New Zealand Rugby decided that uh, their three players who will be, or sorry, four players who will be available, who were up for Super Rugby player of the year were Richie Mwanga, Patrick Tupolotu, Geordie Barrett and Aaron Smith. The Rugby Players Awards um, decided that actually none of those players were decent, <laughs> should be should be even nominated, um, and they went for Latchlan Latch Bashir, Caleb Clark, Will Jordan, Nani Lamapi, and uh, Hoskins Satutu. <laughs> How farcical is this when you've got the same you know, uh, totally different players being being nominated? Richard Mwanga took out the New Zealand Rugby Awards, uh, New Zealand Rugby ones, and the Rugby Players Award went to Latchlan Bashir. And I can really understand why why, why Boshier got it, to be honest. But yeah, a bit uh, it, it 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 is a bit farcical. Paul, but... it reminds me of a, uh, an episode from The Simpsons. There's one episode where uh, Homer Simpson has to go into the witness protection program, and there's an FBI agent coming up to him and saying, "Look, your name is uh, John Doe. Can't quite remember what it is." Yeah. And he says, "When I ask you what your name is, you will say, my name is." He goes, Homer Simpson. So this is something like that. So, although Homer Simpson, it's, it's um, yeah, look, I, I have said it's confusing. Um, I can understand why some of these players have been um, nominated, especially from the players' point of view, because, again, they have, um, you know, the numbers. You know, I look at guys like Lachlan Boucher, outstanding numbers during Super Rugby. You look at guys like, Nani Laumapi, before he got injured. Outstanding numbers. So there is real science here, but it just kind of makes a mockery of the whole thing when you have the NZR nominating a completely different bunch of players who don't even make the cut on the other, or you look at the reverse. So um, awkward, a bit confusing, but once you start deciphering all that, you kind of understand. But yeah, that's more for the rugby purist, I guess. Yeah, I, I, I think that... Uh, yeah. What we've got with the Rugby Players Association one, as you say, has got what, who, who is actually really playing. What we've got for the Rugby New Zealand, the New Zealand Rugby one is, hey, what's going to make good headlines, unfortunately. So, yes, um, uh, Boshir, well done for that one. Um, and then my 10 Cup Player of the Year, something pretty similar. Uh, nominations were Ash Dixon, um, Flava Katava, uh, David Havili, Sione Havili, and um, Sayalisi Rayasi. Um, whereas uh, the New Zealand Rugby ones, had Caleb Trask, who didn't even get nominated, um, Salisi um, Rayasi and uh, Falau Fakatava with Fakatava winning it. Um, Ash Dixon, his um, 
teammate took it out um, for the Rugby Players Association one. Uh, so, um, yes, absolutely got to say, uh, again, happy with either, either of them. Um, but I think Ash Dixon got that for, for a lot of his leadership um, as, as much as his play as well there, Boa. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, I think uh, we all agreed on that. And, you know, boy, I thought Ash, uh, from a le- purely from a leadership point of view. Um, and something I, I did notice in his game was he knew when to carry. He knew when to get involved in the game. And that's something, um, you know, true leaders do. And, of course, uh, he, uh, you know, he's, he's quite inspiring for the forward pack. And I think he really lifted uh, his team to a number of victories where if it was a different player, the, the outcome of the result would have been very different. So, and, and, and I have to say, you know, those nominations, pretty, pretty bang on. You know, I think David Avili there, uh, Fakadava, and of course, Salesi Raiasi. And um, my opinion, a very deserving winner in Ashton Dixon. Yeah, so only Havili, maybe not, um, I, I don't think I saw so much of, but then again, I'll be honest, Look, playing for Tasman, uh, I, I um, my my media pass basically well is for basically Bay of Plenty North, so Bay of Plenty, Waikato, uh, what counties, Auckland, Harbour, uh, and Northam. So those are the teams I get to see more of. So perhaps I didn't see as much of Sione Havili, um, but so uh, yeah, he, he was the he'd be the only name on there that I'd go Ooh, really and raise an eyebrow at. But hey, I think both both the Havilis they were quite. Uh very visibly present, especially once All Blacks had gone away, especially David Havili. Sione Havili, again, injected himself at very crucial points. And I think that's the one one pattern I have to say with the player's choice, that they actually understood um, what being a professional rugby player is all about and when they need to inject themselves into the game. So because if you, if you look at the last 20 years at all levels, being NPC, Super Rugby or Test Level, you, you see those players who consistently understand the importance of when they have to inject themselves into the game. And those are the crucial match-winning moments. Yep. Moving on into the women, the Farrah Palmer Cup Player of the Year. So on the, again, this is going to be amusing. On the um, New Zealand rugby side, you've got uh, Kendra Coxage, Stacey Fuller and Chelsea Alley. Kendra Coxage taking that one um, there. Um, again, Chelsea Alley not even nominated um, as the... Uh, for the Rugby Players Association one, which had um, Alana Bremner, Stacey Fuller, Kennedy Simon, Hazel Tubrick, uh, or and um, Portia Woodman, with uh, Kennedy Simon taking it out again, uh, like she did with the uh, International Players Rugby Players Association award. Um, yeah, <sighs> interesting. Uh, yeah, interesting again that, uh, that Chelsea Alley is in one but not in the other. Um, and uh, but um, yeah, congratulations to, uh, to to Kennedy Simon. Totally, totally. What, what I'd like to, and what, what what I'm saying is, I'd be very curious to see what the um, nomination, nominee criteria to make this list is. I'd be really interested to see what it is. I have a strong feeling it's actually got to do with some critical numbers, i.e., line bus, tackle bus, tackles made, work rate, etc. Uh, but yeah, uh, Kennedy, well done, two from two, and congratulations. Obviously, that's a name we are going to hear more and more, hopefully. In the years to come, barring injury, by the looks of things, um, the then the, the New Zealand Rugby Association, sorry, New Zealand Rugby Awards don't have a young player, but the Rugby Players Association one does. And uh, yeah, these names, 
really, uh, <laughs> when you hear them, you think, yep, I understand why. AJ Lamb, good season. Josh Lord, actually, Josh Lord's the one, the one that I'm kind of trying to uh, scratch my head and, and remember him. But Xavier Rowe, great season for Auckland. Um, Zahn Sullivan uh, also had a wonderful season. Um, sorry, Xavier Rowe, great season for Waikato. Zahn Sullivan, good season for, for Auckland. Got the wrong way around there. Um, and then Freedom, Vianicolo, who actually uh, took out, who actually won the award. Uh, yes, I, you, you can, you understand why those guys have got, why those guys have been nominated. Totally. I think Freedom Vahakolo, very well-deserved nominee and winner. And also, I have to say, uh, my personal preference is Xavier Rowe all day. I think he, he was outstanding, simply and utterly outstanding. Head and shoulders above probably even some of the most senior players. Uh, and of course, Zan Sullivan, whenever he got the opportunity to impress, he's been very patient. I've got a lot of time for Zan, wonderful player. And of course, he was given the goal-kicking duties on three occasions, nailed it 100%. And they were very, very high-pressure uh, kicks when, you know, Auckland needed it the most. So, um, all in all, some great nominations there. And, you know, hopefully, um, as you said, Paul, barring any injuries, we are going to hear these names more and more. And there will be uh, a huge telling and you know contributing factor to Auckland rugby. And hopefully we see this um, men and women turn out to be wonderful uh, rep players at the highest level. Now, what is it about the what they do down in Taranaki? Because Josh Lord, um, another lock. We've just had um, the eye come through uh, and storm it all the way up into the All Black squad. Uh, as a lock, also out of Taranaki. Obviously, Scott's, um, Scott Barrett um, from Taranaki as well. Uh, boy, they um, they breed uh, they breed tall ones down there, don't they? They do, they do. It's probably something in the water. <laughs> or it's probably something they eat down in Taranaki. Oh boy, oh boy! It it really gives uh, it really gives uh, special meaning to the term Taranaki hardcore because we have some hardcore locks down there. And this is this is endless churn uh, of that production line, and it's 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 wonderful. It's wonderful nursery for New Zealand rugby, and um, long may it continue. Long may it continue, and hopefully some of the other provinces can be a little bit creative, be receptive, have their uh, recruitment radar on, and get some decent locks. Poach them, just import them into province. I was going to say, look, lo locks. I, I, I've got a funny feeling that locks are going to become some of the best played players around because just the the number of people who are that size uh, in, in, in the population is less than pretty much any other position uh, on the rugby pitch. Also, um, with basketball becoming more and more popular, the guys you want playing lock are the guys who are heading off to blast basketball as well. Uh, North Harbour is finding that to be a particular problem for them um, already. So, yeah, if you... Um, uh, so yeah, so, so my if you're a young player coming through and you're tall enough, get into the locking department because that's where you're going to earn some serious. <laughs> that's where you can earn some serious cash in the future, I think, and where you're going to have the least competition for for your um, uh, for, for for roles as well. So uh, you know, so there we go. Paul, you're so correct. I think that kids, if you're watching this, that is the New Zealand Sport Radio tip of the day. Listen to Paul Baines if you have the physical <laughs> stature and ability. Be a lock. Learn those skills, and then you've actually opened my eyes a little bit further, purely from a coaching point of view, because there's a couple of kids coming through uh, in, in some of my younger rep teams. Um, and this is something I need to actually talk to these guys about, and actually talk to the coaches where we look at certain skills 
And, uh, you know, classic example is Maro Itoje, you know, with, with, with that physicality, the ability to jump, the fitness, and, and other sublime skills, you know, easily, I think, one of the best players going around in world rugby right now, if not the best. He's got, he is going to be one of the highest paid players. Definitely. Um, um, so, yeah, so that's, yeah, so that's my, my prediction for the future is, is, is locks are way where the real big money is folks so uh, um there we go uh let's have a look around the provinces a little bit because i think there's um uh there's some interesting um positions actually simon makes a really good point um, basketball and afl would be the position where locks would be other sports competitions for rugby um you gotta say the players that come out of afl tend to play fullback they don't tend to play lock which is interesting um when we've had crossover players uh so uh so yes there's Whilst I, I get what he's saying, um, it's it's interesting that actually that's not where they go and play because of the skill set I guess they, they gain in AFL. Um, Minor Ten Cup then, uh, and there's a, there's a number of positions that I've seen advertised recently, which has been interesting. Um, the uh, there's a couple of uh, head coach positions going. Um, so down in Taranaki, uh, the head coach down there has um, resigned. Uh, I'm not quite sure what he's going to want going to go on to next, but there's uh, so folks they're they're currently advertising. So Boa, you're a coach, um, and then also um, Bay of Plenty um, with uh, Clayton McMillan moving to the Chiefs, um, they have an opening there as well. So yeah, a couple of head coaching positions coming up uh, in very different circumstances. The Taranaki struggling, uh, both uh, not um, not only with results in pitch but also financially. Whereas Bay of Plenty, a much more secure union, uh, it, heading in the right direction, very nearly. Actually, I'm trying to remember, did, did they make the playoffs or not? Um, I think they didn't. They. They did. Make, yes. Yeah, making the playoffs the year after they get promoted. So I mean, seriously, some big shoes to follow. Um, which one would you rather take on? Would you rather take on the position where you've got uh, nothing to lose because they're because they're already down, or Bay of Plenty, where you've got a much better crop of players, but boy oh boy, um, some. Uh, the, the previous coach has been doing a really good job. Yeah, look, I have to be quite honest. Neither my my goal is not to be head coach in a province. I have a, a no, no, no. I understand that. I, I was I was I was joking when I said you should. But if you were going to go for one, would you go for the go for the the good the good squad where they're already performing perhaps as as good as they can do, or for the squad that's underperforming where you can make much more difference, but your chances of winning a championship are several years down the line. Whereas the Bay of Plenty, if you get it right, you could have you, you could you could be on the road to a championship within a year, or if you get it wrong, you're, you're, it's going to be obvious you got it wrong because the other guy was getting it right. Yeah, look, definitely, I would go with the better squad, no question about it. Just the way the game's changing now, you have to go where the resources and most important resource is your human resource, the players you have. I think it's just going to make the coach's job a lot easier. You know, um, ladies and gentlemen, coaching at the best of times can some, you know, can be a very lonely, dark, challenging place, especially when you're coaching at uh, the highest level, the entry point to first-class rugby, which is might attend or provincial. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of pressure. You have to perform. You have to deliver because uh, you're accountable for your team. So, you know, coaching, I will, you know, you're going to see a lot of chopping and changing. People will lose their jobs. New people coming in. One thing I have to say, Paul, is I sincerely hope that all the unions, especially the unions uh, playing the um, provincial championships, they look to recruit from within their own unions where coaches who are involved 
at the premier club competition level. There is a pathway, there's a coaching progression plan where they get absorbed into these positions. And this is a wonderful opportunity for those coaches. So um, if I was an administrator in a province, which I am not, and this is something I have been going on and on and on, especially with my home province, is that we need a pathway for our coaches who are coaching at grassroots. It's, it's a very, very tough job. Uh, being there, done that, it's, you know, it's all heart and soul. You have to really, you know, pour in everything you have. It's, 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 it's way more than just a few hours every week. So, uh, you know, it's just reward for some of these coaches. But to answer your question, yeah, I'd definitely go with the top pick, the Bay <laughs> of Plenty. I, I agree with you from within. From within. But, but sorry, got, we've got a little echo there, folks. Sorry about that. But also, I would also look at potentially the um, uh, the, the Heartland Championship, where someone has done well with the Heartland Championship province. Um, I, 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 so I would look at. I would also look there as well. So yes, I agree. But to, to within, but also look at the Heartland Championship. I guess the question, the, the, the point here is, don't go overseas and <laughs> pick up a Vern. Uh, people like Vern Cotters or Gatland don't need to come back and play. Um, come back and be uh, head coaches in uh, in minor ten. Just one one quick note I have to add is with the you know the way the way things are going with recruiting coaches. Uh, by and large, the, one of the patterns I see is that a coach who comes on board will bring a coaching team. So you're not actually co recruiting a coach; you're recruiting a coaching team. Case in point being with the All Blacks last appointment with Ian Foster, he actually brought a coaching team, and if you Look at some of the people who were supposed to put their hand uh, head in the ring or who uh, who could have, i.e. Jamie Joseph. And then we had people like Tony Brown saying, oh, look, I was I'm, I'm, I was actually very interested in coaching with Jamie uh, because I don't have that opportunity. I'm, I'm actually not going to do that. So that's a trend you see. So I think with, with Bayo Plenty and Taranaki, they will probably appoint a coach and that person will bring a team along with him or her. I, I think at... Super Rugby level and above, Super Rugby International level, yes, you do hire a coach and they'll bring, if not a whole team, at least a couple of their own people. I think it might have taken cup level when you've got a, a coach who's making their, making their way through. They probably haven't, they might not have built that team along the way. Um, so I think it's a bit different at, uh, at minor 10 uh, level than it is higher up. I think they're, they're much more willing to work with some of the incumbents who are already there. Um, and let's be honest, Provinces can't afford to pay out contracts. So if, if, if there's already a strength and conditioning coach that's on a two-year contract, that's your strength and conditioning folks, co coach, folks. You're not bringing in your own one. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's a bit different. At, at, um, you're, a lot of, you're seeing a lot of people who are actually volunteering their time, even at mm. the uh, might attend level. Because the reality is, you know, COVID's really done a number on the finances and economics. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a tough, tough old place because... There are a lot of people who've, who've actually been involved in coaching for a long time, and that's pretty much all they know. So they find it very difficult to transfer their skills into other parts of the uh, workforce. So they stick with it. So that's a huge sacrifice. Um, so, yes, yeah, a bit of give and take there. And I think uh, just coming back to the previous point, I said where you have a progression plan for local coaches within your province, it's the perfect opportunity. But, yeah. um, again, it's, it's a very competitive environment. Some things, something, uh, uh, points that when you talk about how it's a dark place, or it can be a lonely and dark place uh, as, as a head coach, um, I had the uh, the privilege of, um, of, I guess, seeing that to a certain degree with um, 
Hiramaya, who gave a post-match interview in the semi-final, I think it was. Um, yeah, beautiful speech. It was very emotional. Actually, I, I, I actually teared up. You can't see my tears because I cut my glasses on. <laughs> well, I, I, look, I, I, I didn't broadcast this publicly because I was asked not to. I was asked to cut it um, at this point. But um, in the second half of the interview, he got very emotional and was, and, uh, was actually crying um, about how friends and family uh, had yeah, volunteered, as you say, their time for nothing, um, uh, how his dad was sick as well. Um, and you can see, yeah, it had taken its, its – here was a guy who was winning – he was a guy who was take was was heading to the final uh, from the outside. It's all successful. It's all great, um, but he was clearly finding it um, extremely tough uh, to do that. Uh, and he did say, "Yeah, uh, if people appreciate what I'm doing, and I, mate, you've taken a losing team in in Auckland to a, to um, to two finals, including a championship in three years, mate. You're very much appreciated." Um, and I, and I, I made that point. The other journalists just stayed quiet, and, and, and I, I, just, I couldn't do. Um, the Melton um, Wright says, yeah, "Does Boa have eyes behind those shades?" Yes, he does. Um, the um, if I take them off, I, I start blinking uncontrollably. So, because <laughs> there's there's, there's, uh, there's a reason why I do this. So, I have I yeah. have critical reason. It's, it's it's not just him being cool cool wearing wearing shades inside. Um, so yeah, yeah. Look, it can be very lonely. It can be um, uh, very tough because look, you are the person that is in charge. Uh, that um, everything is. Uh, you, you are. You are. If you don't have, um, you might not be responsible for everything that happens, but you're accountable for everything that happens. You delegate stuff so other people are responsible, but at the end of the day, you're the accountable one for what happens in that squad uh, by all the coaches by all the other backroom staff by all the players uh and um sometimes uh, yeah there aren't other people to talk to um and you do have to shoulder that so uh yeah it can be a tough place um so there is Boa an x-man no he's not an x-man he's not uh, yeah it's not cyclops he's gonna uh take him off and start shooting lasers out of his eyes that is, does not happen um well if i if i may look i i really want to give a shout out to alama Philo and Craig, Craig McGrath, amazing bunch of people. I, I, I know firsthand the amount of planning, the amount of dedication, the amount of work they did months and months out from this campaign. Um, and one thing I have to say is with Alama as a head coach, you know, boy, every single time he gives his heart and soul. It reminds me of Ivan the Holyfield, the former boxer. Every time he got in the ring, he just gave it, gave, gave it everything he has. And uh, from someone observing from the outside in, it's it's a wonderful thing. I have nothing but respect for Lama. Much love, much respect, um, and what a fantastic season! So well done to you and your staff. Much respect. Yeah, and obviously uh, he's he's opened up a lot more this season um, in, in in interviews uh, and just in, in, in and sort of chatting when you sort of bounce, when you bump into him um, behind the scenes. So uh, I thought, I say, it looked to me like everything was in a much better and more positive place this year. Um, but clearly it was tough as well uh, it, alongside that. So, um, yeah, no, you say lots of uh, have really enjoyed uh, having the opportunity to to interview and chat with him after uh, the games that I've been at. So um, thank you very much again for joining me, Boa, on this one. We will be back for one more show this year next Tuesday. Um, so, uh, folks, yes, we are going through the festive period um, with shows 
we're not taking time off like most of New Zealand seem to do. Uh, and uh, But we, yes, we will be here broadcasting to you at 8 p.m. next Tuesday. Um, and uh, hopefully we won't have put on too much weight from our Christmas dinners um, <laughs> for that. But hey, perhaps that's why we have the cameras here and upwards. So you can't see quite how much we've, uh, we've eaten over Christmas. So have a uh, wonderful Christmas, everybody. Um, I wish you yeah, a safe and happy Christmas. And Boa, Merry Christmas. Hello to each and everyone who's been tuning in and listening. Thank you so much. Uh, you guys have been amazing. Have a, have a safe, very, very Merry Christmas. Um, and yeah, looking forward to seeing you guys back again. See you soon. Thank you. See you soon. Yep. And don't forget, folks, you can become a supporter of New Zealand Sports Radio um, at patreon.com forward slash uh, NZ Sports uh, NZ Sport Radio. Uh, and we do appreciate if you have enjoyed the show, tell your friends and share on all those lovely socials. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.